So I invite you to point your Bible to Psalm 103 this morning. However you do Bible, whether it's paper or electronic, if you forgot your Bible or your Bible died because you forgot to charge it, then uh, you have one provided for you in the pew ahead of you. We'll be on page uh, 344 of that pew Bible in Psalm 103. This series that we're going through in the month of February is called Songs of Jesus, and I've told you a couple of times there's two reasons for that. The first is that these are songs that Jesus sang. The Bible says that Jesus sang, and the other reason is that uh, these are songs that are about Jesus, songs that are about Jesus. And so, uh, we're going to be in Psalm 103. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the entire psalm. It's uh, 20-some verses long. And then I'm going to give you a synopsis uh, as far as what I feel like the, this, this psalm is about. And then we're going we're gonna to kind of go through it verse by verse as we normally do. And um, about 45 minutes from now, I will pray for you. We'll dismiss and um, we'll go forth from here. So let's uh, read Psalm 103 together. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, and redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He makes known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He will not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far He removed our transgressions from us. As a father who shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. Verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant, and to remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, And His kingdom rules over all. Verse 20. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Father, your people don't need to hear from me. Your people need to hear from you. So I ask you, Lord, that you would use me, your servant, to speak your word to your people, to edify, encourage, and equip for work and service in your kingdom, for the advance of your gospel, for the sake of your name. 
I pray that you would strike me dumb before I speak one word against your word. I pray that I would not add to it or take from it, but speak it accurately, truthfully. I pray this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' praise. Amen. So here's my summary of what Psalm 103 is about. This will be the summary of my sermon this morning. If you still hanging out with your, your program on the backside of your program, you can follow along with us. You can fill this out as we go along. We hope keep you engaged and not fall asleep. Here's the summary of uh, my message this morning. Remembering the unconditional, unceasing, irrevocable benefits of God's steadfast love and mercy toward us through Jesus Christ will produce a life of faithfulness and fruitfulness to Him. Let me say that again because I have a gift of being wordy. Remembering the unconditional, unceasing, irrevocable benefits of God's steadfast love and mercy toward us through Jesus Christ will produce a life of faithfulness and fruitfulness to Him. All right. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, then the following is unconditionally, unceasingly, irrevocably true of you. So listen closely. If you are a follower of Jesus, all of this is true of you. You went willingly into sin, into treasonous disobedience against God, and you deserve the wrath of God in hell. But... God sent His own Son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, to forgive you of your sin, and to save you from hell, and to bring you into His kingdom. That's true of you. Additionally, disease, the disease of sin, has been healed, and it's powerless over you. And in Jesus Christ, there's an eternal supply and power to overcome sin. Additionally, you are guaranteed healing of every sickness and disease in your life, guaranteed, either in this life or in the next. That's true of you, even terminal ones. Additionally, death itself has no jurisdiction over you. You will never die. Your mortal life, when it ends, will be given immortality, and you will go on to be with the Lord forever in glorious peace and pleasure and joy. That is true of you. Additionally, your life today is saturated with, to borrow a phrase from my favorite children's book, your life is saturated with God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Additionally, the one thing that your soul desires most in the world, the one thing that would bring you absolute satisfaction, the one thing that would be would bring you the most happiness in this life, has been given to you, is being given to you constantly, and is being provided for you even now in this moment, will be provided for you the rest of your life as often as you want it. That is true of you. Additionally, you are being invigorated every day by unstopping, life-giving force to empower a soaring life in the Spirit of God. That is true of you. Unceasingly, unconditionally, irrevocably true of every follower of Jesus Christ. What I've just read to you is Psalm 103, verses 3, 4, and 5. 
It's an explanation of one word translated in your Bible, benefits. It's an explanation of the benefits of the Lord. The Hebrew word for benefits means um, accomplishment. These are the things that God has accomplished on your behalf through Jesus so that this would be irrevocably true of you and unconditionally so. Now, if this were a perfect church, that's where I would end my sermon and I would pray, and y'all would go home, and you would meditate on God's Word and all the benefits of God's Word, and you would be joy-filled and mission-driven and gospel-empowered people, and you would go home, and you would have a great rest of your week, and you would come back next week, and we would do it all over again. That's, that, that's what I would have done if this were a perfect church. Now, I should be honest, and in, in the interest and in full disclosure to all our visitors, we are not a perfect church. <laughs> None of us. And so, while all that stuff is unconditionally and irrevocably true of you, I'm a realist, and I'm fairly certain that our week will be encumbered by sin. We will go from this place, and and, and although these things will be true of us, like we'll know them, We won't live as if they were every moment this coming week. I'm fairly certain that there's a high probability that you're going to go home from here after hearing the Word of God, after singing songs to Jesus. You're going to go from this place and you're probably going to get into an argument with your spouse and you're probably going to yell at your kids and you're probably going to get mad at someone, and you're probably going to give a half-hearted effort at work this week, and you're probably going to be upset, and you're probably going to demand justice on someone who doesn't deserve it, and you're probably going to think too highly of yourself, and you're going to make excuses why you didn't read the Bible, and you're going to question your purpose, and you're going to question even maybe despair of life. And then you'll have breakfast, because all of that will have done, happened right before breakfast. If your week will be anything like mine. I think that's true of all of us in some measure or another. So I suppose the great question is, if verses 3 and 4 and 5 are true, why don't we act like they are? Why, if these things are unconditionally unceasingly, irrevocably true, why don't we live as if they are? Why do we lack steadfastness? Why is our Christian walk like a roller coaster rather than a steady incline? Why do Christians get the reputation of being hypocrites? Because I'll be honest with you, a lot of times if I get called a hypocrite, it's because I deserve to be called a hypocrite. And the answer to why we lack steadfastness, why we don't live according to verses 3, 4, and 5 is answered in verse 2. We forget. We forget. The reason we lack steadfastness is be, because we forget the Lord's steadfastness. 
we forget the Lord's benefits to us. And then and we forget these things. But it's not like we forget. It's not like the same kind of forgetting where like you forgot where you put your keys to your car. Like it, it's a different kind. It, the reason that we lack steadfastness is because we forget the Lord's benefits. And that's a, that forgetting is a, it's a in, in, the, in the Hebrew understanding of remembering, forgetting, it's different than, than the English word for forget and remember. It's a, it's a very different concept. It's not like, like when you tell your, your kid to do the dishes and you come home and they didn't do the dishes and you're like, oh, why didn't you do the dishes? I forgot. Really, let's look at your list here. Number one, do the dishes. Number two, oh look, there's no number two. There's only number one. You had one thing to do, but I forgot. It's not that kind of forgetting. It's a different kind of forgetting. It's a different kind of remembering. The reason we're not faithful and steadfast is because we forget the Lord's benefits. And what I mean by that is is that if you remembered... The benefits of the Lord in verses 3, 4, and 5, you would live unencumbered by sin. You would live in, in gospel-empowered, gospel, gospel-informed life of rejoicing and, and joy and peace and happiness and fruitfulness. And so you might be thinking, well, that's, that seems like a shallow answer. That seems like an incomplete answer because basically your pastor just told you the way to live a fruitful life in advancing the gospel of God in your life and through your life is just to remember the benefits of God. And I think if it feels unimpressive or anticlimactic, that's only because of the inadequacies of the English word, remember. And so for Psalm 103 to have full effect for us, I think I need to do a little bit of work in the biblical concept of remembering and what it means to remember. Or as David wrote it in verse 2 with the double negative, not forget. So you can tell your English teacher to back off because even the Bible has double negatives in it. If the Holy Spirit used the double negative, so can I. Darn it. Verse 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and remember all His benefits. Now, the first thing I want you to notice about verse 1 and 2 is there's something interesting about this psalm. The Bible tells us it's written by King David, but there's something really interesting about this psalm written by David. To whom is it addressed? He's not singing this to God. This is a song. It's a psalm. So it's, it's a song he wrote or a poem, maybe. He's not singing this to God. Look closely. Is he singing it to you or me? Is he singing to his girlfriend? Who did he write this song for? He wrote this song for himself. He's singing to himself. You didn't know it was biblical to talk to yourself, did you? It is. So I just told you you can use double negatives and you can talk to yourself. Next we're going to be talking about churning butter. This is the kind of people we are. But this is a king talking or singing to himself. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. This is to me, to my soul. And the reason I think is beneficial to all of us. So lean into this conversation that this crazy king is having with his crazy soul. Because I think in these verses, in this chapter, 
we're going to find a tremendous prescription for our lack of steadfastness. David's soul was apparently troubled in some way. We don't really know. He doesn't tell us, by the way, that's another unique thing about Psalm 103. He doesn't tell us what the problem is. Like, he doesn't say, I got this bad guy, he's after me, and I'm really scared. Or, you know, I sinned against, you know, God, and now I need forgiveness. Or whatever his problems were. He doesn't say what his problem is here. He's just dealing with something. We don't know what it is that he's dealing with, but I think that's by design because that makes it more universal. It means that you can apply it to many things. It means anything in your life that is causing you to have a lack of steadfastness, you can use this psalm to bring some, and speak to that and bring a prescription to that ailment. Maybe he's dealing with sin. Maybe he's got some sin in his life that just keeps reoccurring. Maybe he's dealing with that. So he's telling his soul to remember the benefits of God's forgiveness. Or maybe he's dealing with a sickness in his life or something. And so he's telling his soul to remember that God heals in this life or in the next. Maybe he's telling, maybe he's dealing with depression. Maybe that could be his issue. Or in the old days, we used to call it melancholy. Maybe he's having a, a melancholy day. And so he's telling his soul, bless the Lord. Just remember the benefits of God. There's no reason for you to be down like this. It's left vague by design. So this prescription of Psalm 103 covers a whole multitude of ailments for our souls. It's like chicken soup and rest and, and plenty of fluids for our soul. It's, it covers a whole bunch of stuff. Now, it's not uncommon for King David to speak to his soul. He did this in, in Psalm 42. He asks, in, in Psalm 42, it's, it's different because he asks his soul questions. You remember that? Why so downcast, O my soul? <laughs> Put your hope in God. So not only does he talk to himself, he asks himself questions and then answers them. This guy's on a whole other level of crazy. If I catch you talking to yourself, that's one thing. But if I catch you asking yourself questions and then answering yourself of those questions, that's a whole other level. That's different. But that's what he does. Yeah. He's looking at his own heart. And he's telling his own heart, his own soul, to stop wallowing in self-pity, to get up, to clean clean yourself up, and just get moving on. Why so downcast? Sometimes we just need a good, we just need to kick ourselves in the pants sometimes to get ourselves moving. Have you ever, I'm sure you've all done this, right? You've all been like, you responded to someone. somebody's brought something to you or some circumstance happens in your life and you respond in a particular way and you're like, what the heck is wrong with me? Why did I do that? That's what he's doing here. He's saying, bless the Lord of my soul. He's like, what is wrong with you? Why are you reacting like this when all of these things are true? And so the question is how? How is the psalmist kicking his soul into gear? How is he recovering from this melancholy or whatever problem he's going through. And he does so, in verse 2, by remembering the benefits of the Lord. So, the biblical concept of remembering is much different from just recalling facts. It's much different than remembering facts. It's not like when you remember where you left off in the middle of a movie. Or it's not like remembering where you left your keys to your car. It's, it's the kind of remembering that affects you today. It's the sort of remembering that's like, 
when you're, when you're about to give a presentation before maybe a board of directors or something, you've got to sell this product or something, it's the sort of remembering where you're remembering those voices when you were a kid of maybe somebody, a coach or your daddy or somebody being like, you'll never amount to anything. Nobody will ever respect you. Those words back there that are just, they, they get seated in your soul and they affect how you react to people. They affect how you approach issues. They affect how you think about things. That's the kind of remembering the Bible speaks of when it talks about remembering. When you read through the Old Testament, you come through, like, especially the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is an interesting book in the first five books of the Bible because nothing happens in that book. Almost nothing happens. It's just a retelling of everything that's already happened. And the reason is the setting of the book is you have an old man named Moses who's on the banks of the Jordan River, and he's got these people, these stiff-necked, arrogant people who he's tried to lead through the wilderness for 40 years into the promised land. And they're about to cross the river and go into the promised land. And he's standing at the banks of the river and he's telling them, this is all that God has done for you. Remember. Remember what God did for you. Don't forget when you get into the land, don't you forget what happened back here. Do you think that's that they couldn't remember? Do you think that's because like they couldn't remember that there was, you know, there was a day when like they were hungry and these birds would just fly over their heads, die in the middle of the air and fall to the ground. They just cook them up and eat them. You think they forget that? You think they forget that there's this giant cloud of that would lead them, and it was fire at nighttime. You think they would forget about that? You think they would forget the story where, where, where water just burst from a rock to, to give them something to drink? They're not going to forget it. Like the facts, they'll remember. What he means by remember is remember it in the sense of let it inform the way you look at things and approach life. And when, when, you, when, when you counter difficulties and you're given a choice to go this way or that, you remember that thing. Let it inform you in the present. That's what remembering means. And so you and I need to be told the same, to remember. Because we all have a tendency, even though we know the benefits of God, we know that our sins have been forgiven forever, we live like it's not true. So little things bother us. Uh, You go to have coffee in the morning. And you realize your spouse forgot to buy filters. And even though you know that there's going to come a day real soon that when you're going to close your eyes for the last time, you're going to be in heaven and bliss forever. You're going to have joy and happiness like you've never known in this life. That you are eternally secure where you stand in that moment. All you can think about is those filters. She never buys filters. I want coffee and I can't have coffee. And you're just frustrated. And it's like red level terror alert in your household. Because there's no filters for the coffee. Why do we react like that? Why do we let those little things drive us nuts? Why do we... Let me ask it. Let me just put this in the form of a question. When we refuse to forgive someone for sinning against us, isn't it because we forgot that we've been forgiven for much more and much worse? Or when we close our heart to the poor... Isn't it because we forgot that though he was rich, yet he was made poor for our sake so that by his poverty we would become rich? Or isn't it that when we lash out against someone, isn't it because we forget First Peter 2 that says that Jesus didn't revile when he was reviled? When we use harsh words to tear one another down, isn't that because we forget that Jesus was silent before his accusers? 
When we're impatient towards others, isn't that because we forgot that how impatient God is toward us? When we're wallowing in self-pity, isn't it because we've forgotten all the benefits that God has given us? When there are no filters for the coffee, isn't it because we've forgotten all the benefits that God has given to us? I'll give you a practical example. Yesterday, uh, my kids were fighting with one another. Now, in full disclosure, this is not uh, just a once-in-a-while thing. This happens in my household quite often. The kids fight with one another. And I had to sit one of the kids down. Um, they shall remain nameless. But there's only four, so you can take a guess. But I was sitting down with them, and I was having this conversation with them. that They're bickering. And one of them's claim was that the other one is always mean. You know, he or she's always mean to me. Everything, you, don't, you guys don't know. You don't know, mom and dad, you don't know. They're always mean to me. They just say mean things, do mean things to me. And so my wife and I had, a, had an opportunity to, to, to share with um, our child. Look, this is, how mean are you to the Lord? How often do you forget God? How often do you neglect God not do nice things, not do what he asks you to do. How often do you sin against God? So, so it, for sure, your, your, your brother, your sister, they, they sin against you. But how often do you sin against the Lord? And what does Jesus do for you when you sin against him? Well, he continues to love me. He loves me. He pursues me. He still delights in you. So when your brother or your sister does that to you, just remember, you've done, that, you've done far worse to Jesus, and he still loves you. He still forgives you, still pursues you, still delights in you. Look, when, when we do wrong, God isn't thrown off. He's not like asking for the cross back. I changed my mind about that. You know what? Nah, that, that was a bad idea. That was a horrible idea to go send my son to die for your sins. I didn't know it would be this bad. I mean, I figured there'd be some, but I didn't know it'd go this deep. The reason that we lack steadfastness towards God is because we forget the steadfastness of God toward us. And our attitudes and actions are a result of what we are remembering at that moment. Let me say that again. Our reactions and our response to a given and particular situation are a result of what we remember in that moment. If all you can think about is how your spouse doesn't buy doggone filters for the coffee maker, that's how you're going to respond. He, he neglects me. She neglects me. But if you're remembering the benefits of God, the benefits of God through your spouse to you, coffee filters don't matter. Plus, you can use a paper towel anyway. I've tried it. It works. <laughs> Psalm 103 gives us the solution to the, our lack of steadfastness. And it's by remembering the benefits of God, by blessing Him, by praising Him. This psalm begins and ends with bless the Lord. It's the same Hebrew word for praise. Same Hebrew word. So praise the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So, whenever you're embroiled, embroiled in a situation where you're given the choice to go this way and, a, and react and respond in a very sinful way, 
Or you're given the option to react in this way, which is God-honoring and gospel-informed and Christ-exalting. What you need to do in that moment, in that crossroads, is just remember the benefits of God. Remember all that God has given to you in that particular moment and in your life and choose the path that honors Him. That's where the power comes from. That's how the gospel of Jesus Christ informs you every moment of every day in your life. That's how you can forgive. That's how you can love. That's how when that stinky, nasty, alcoholic, homeless man asks you for money, you can give it. When you don't feel like serving on your servant team, you can serve because of all that God has given to you. But I, I think I want to take a second just to explain what, me, what it means to bless the Lord because I think that can be a little, it can be, trip you up a little bit. Like, how do you bless the Lord, right? Like, I think, look, my wife blesses me. She blesses me. She brings great delight into my life. Like, she's all kinds of ways in my life. My wife is a delight to me, and she helps my, my world would not work without my wife. My family wouldn't work without her. So she is a blessing of the Lord to me. But how do I bless the Lord? It's not like I add anything to God, right? It's not like God did a fist pump when he saved me. It's like, God was working on that guy, and finally, boom, got him. Now things are better. I wasn't sure there for a second. I don't, bless the God, I don't bless the Lord by adding anything to Him. He has everything. He doesn't need me to accomplish His will. So how do you bless the Lord? Alec Mateer is helpful on this in his commentary in the Psalms. He writes, When the Lord blesses us, He reviews our needs and responds to them. But when we bless the Lord... We review His excellencies and respond to them. So we're not adding anything to Him. We bless Him when we review His excellencies and we respond accordingly. So put that back in the context of conflict. If you're given the choice to to choose a sinful path or to be selfish or egotistical and, and just get your own way, Or you're given the option to exalt the Lord and make Jesus look good, and not you look good, but look Jesus look good. You remember His benefits in that moment of conflict. You remember His excellencies, and you respond accordingly. That's what it means to bless the Lord. Verse 6. Now we're going to move fairly quickly through the next number of verses. Because King David is um, here just, he's just um, explaining the rest of the verses. Verse 6, if you can switch my slide up there for me. Verse 6, down to verse 10. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He makes known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquity. And so David goes back and he retells the history of his people. Who again is he speaking to? He's speaking to his soul. He's telling his soul what his soul already knows. He's not doing this because he forgot. He didn't forget the Exodus. He didn't forget Moses. He's just retelling it to his soul. He said, you revealed yourself to us. You, we disobeyed your word. We were sinful towards you, but you were merciful toward us. 
We drifted toward other gods, and you were gracious toward us. We made you upset, and yet you did not destroy us. And then in verse 10, he says, you did not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. You see what David's doing to his wavering soul? He's recalling the the steadfastness of God towards his people, toward his ancestors, and even toward him. You did not repay us according to what we deserved. He's taking Isaiah 53, 6 and applying it to himself. Isaiah 53, 6 is that the Lord laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquities of us all. I was guilty of iniquity, and you didn't lay your wrath on me for for the sake of my iniquities, even though I deserved your wrath for my iniquities. Instead, what you did was you took my iniquities off of me, and you placed them on Jesus, and Jesus died and paid the penalty for my iniquities. And so, verse 10 becomes true. Then now, when when you interact with me, you don't repay me according to my iniquities. Verse 11. David remembers all that God has done. Verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love. There's that word, steadfast. So great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, So far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion towards those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. So David recalls of the steadfast love of God in removing sins from us. You know, God never punishes you for your sins. There's nothing to punish. The punishment for your sins already been paid. Now, you'll be disciplined at times. Hebrews 12 says that he's a father and he loves you and so he's going to discipline you. So when you're in relationship with God, you should expect he's going to discipline you. It's like I said last week, unless the God that you serve is like a, a made up God. If your God can't discipline you and upset you, disappoint you, then you don't have the real God of the Bible. You have one you made up. But if you're serving the one of, of the true Bible, then you would expect he's above you. And if he's real and if he is relational, you should expect that you guys would come into conflict. And that he would need to discipline you. But he doesn't punish you. He's already punished Jesus for your sin. And so David recalls his compassion is like a father. He treats us gently. And tenderly. His love is like the love of a gentle and tender father. The, 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 the love of God as a father is a, is a sermon in and of itself. Verse 15. Now he looks at mankind. He says, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it, and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. 
But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. And, who, and His righteousness to His children's children to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. So David looks at his troubled soul, and he says, remember, soul, that mankind is like grass. His days are like grass. There's, our prosperity, our fidelity, it's like a flower in the field. The, the Bible says that life is like vapor. Wind, wind just blows, it's over, it's gone, and it doesn't remember you anymore. Our faithfulness, our steadfastness, our glory is here today, but it's gone tomorrow. I mean, we're not even two months into 2016, and how many people have totally forgotten about their New Year's resolutions? That's just, that's just indicative of our level of steadfastness. We're good at resolutions, bad at resolve. <laughs> we, we have great resolutions, right? It's just too bad that resolutions don't produce results. It's just too bad that you can't be like, you know what, I'd like to lose weight and have six-pack abs and go to the gym once. It's just too bad that you can't go to go buy those things. But in order to get those things, you need to have steadfastness. You need to put in your time. You need to invest. We're good at resolutions. We're just not so good at resolve. This condition of not remembering is, I have a thing in my head, I call it fights on the beach. It's just something that my wife and I know happens in our life, and this is usually how it plays out. We, we've been blessed by the Lord for a number of years that a little over a week, one week per year, we're able to go to um, the coast, spend a week on the beach, um, usually my in-laws, they rent a house there. It's a private beach. It's real low-key and quiet. And it's one of my favorite weeks the whole year. Like, I, I love the ocean. I love the beach. I love being in the sun. I love, there's nothing better in my mind than getting up before the sun rises and getting a book and your Bible and getting out there and just watching the sunrise and reading the scriptures and just, it's just, it's wonderful. It's the best year of my year or best week of my year. But in every single time we're there, every time, Sarah and I have a fight. Every time. An argument of some kind. And it's usually my fault. I'll be honest with you. It's almost always my fault. But it just, it never ceases to amaze me that here I am in one of my favorite places on the planet. My belly is stuffed full of great food that we spent way too much money on. I'm as happy as can be. I, I, when I pack, my wife packs all, this, all the stuff that's important, and I pack the books. I pack like 10 books usually. And I just spend the week reading. And she's such a sweetheart. She takes care of the kids, and I read, okay? Call me whatever you want to call me, but I sit there and read all day long. Uh, but it's just, it's a great time for me to spend time with the Lord and read and just uh, read all kinds of different stuff. And here I am in my favorite place in the world. The ocean's right there. The sun's there. The beach and the sand. And I'm just it's full belly, loving great food. And I get annoyed by my family. I get annoyed by my wife. They say something to me and I'm just ticked. I just go so quick into this arrogant and just frustrated, mean, nasty. And we have an argument. 
fights on the beach. Why? So quick to forget the benefits. You can be in paradise and miserable. So quick to forget the blessings of the Lord. And you know what? God's watching me on that beach. And he sees my full belly. And he sees the last few days where I've done nothing and just chilled. And he sees the ocean he made. He sees the sun he provided. He sees the blue sky that he just painted. And he sees me arguing with my wife over the stupidest little thing. And he still loves me. He still pursues me. He still doesn't want the cross back. Verse 19. Round in third. Headed for home. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I'll just like verse 19. The Lord is firmly established in the heavens. He isn't going anywhere. Means you haven't upset the balance of the universe with your nasty little sin. You have not caused God to second guess his salvation of your soul because you're a bonehead. When you're having a terrible day, when things are not going your way, it's not because God fell asleep at the wheel of the universe. I mean, I I need to remind myself of this a lot. Like when I have a bad day, things don't go right. It's not because God dozed off for a second. He's like, oh, whoops, there goes Wellman. Down again. Me, dang it. (laughs) Sorry, that was lame. It's just, we can't shake, we can't shake our fist at heaven when we're texting and driving, we go off the road, we hit a pole, pole falls in the truck, the truck bursts into flame. You can't stand outside your truck being like, dang it, God! But that's what we do. We blame the Lord for the mess we put ourselves in. Your, your, your crisis in your life. I hope that you've learned this this year because pretty much this theme has been, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, this theme keeps showing up every time we, we ping the Bible, just like this thing keeps coming back. Your crisis is not because God is doing a bad job. God is sovereign over all things, even the little ones. And He uses those conflicts to bring you to Himself, to cause you to not trust in your things, in the ocean, the sun, and to not trust in your leisure, but to trust in His Son. Because He knows that your leisure will get you in hell. He knows that when you trust in something else, like your spouse's ability to buy filters for the coffee maker, you will go to hell. You can't trust in anything except for him. And so he will use whatever means to bring you to him and trust in only him. 
So God is in heaven, and His steadfastness is from everlasting to everlasting. And so what we learn from Psalm 103 is that the psalmist, in the moment where he needs steadfastness, he speaks to his soul of God's steadfastness. In order to, to finish well, you need to remember and always be remembering the steadfastness of your God. I don't think God is all that concerned with where you start, but I know He's very concerned with how you finish. And I pray we would all finish well. You know, it's the same thing in marriage. Spend all this time worrying about your wedding. And anybody who's been married for any amount of time knows that your wedding day has little to say to that night of conflict that you're going to have 10 years down the road when you're both just missing each other. And he's selfish and she's selfish. And how do you bridge that gap? Do you remember a wedding day? It was lovely. It had lots of flowers. It doesn't say anything to that moment. We spend all this time preparing for our wedding day. We should spend time preparing for our marriage. It's the same thing in your relationship with the Lord. You spend all this time, like, you know, when you start something, that's great. Keep starting. But what matters is the steadfastness to bring faithfulness to the end, to finish well. So don't approach your relationship with Jesus with lots of resolution and little resolve. We are called to steadfast obedience. And the way we get steadfastness in our lives is by remembering the steadfastness of our God towards our lives. And so what I want to do is I want to end on verse 8. If you can come back. Verse 8 says it best. If you can go back to Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is merciful. I think this sums up the whole psalm. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. God knows your soul. He knows your wish-washy ways. He knows your doubts. He knows those times when you're reading and you're like, look, let's be honest, this can't be for real. He's there in those moments when you're like, come on now. A man wrote this. You tell me some cat got swallowed up by a giant fish and spit back out a few days later? Come on. He's with you. He's not thrown off by your questioning of his steadfastness, his truth. He knows all the ways that we've wasted our resources, wasted our time, wasted our money. And yet the reality is the steadfast love of the Lord continues to come day after day, hour after hour towards you. He still loves you. He still pursues you. He still woos you. He's still steadfast to you. He still delights in you. And your filthy, high-handed rejection of his plan. He still delights in you. And what I want to finish on is, 
is that your God has not dealt with you according to your sins. But He has dealt with those sins. 2,000 years ago, He dealt with your sins on the body of His own Son who gave His life, was murdered by men like you and I. And He paid the penalty for those sins. So if you place your trust in Jesus Christ, you will benefit from God offering Jesus in your place. And all of that I read at the very beginning of the sermon will be unceasingly, unconditionally, irrevocably true of you. Stand to our feet. Here's what we like to do at the end of all of our services. We like to take a moment. Bev's going to do another song. If you want to sing the song, go ahead and sing the song. That's fine with me. But what's more fine with me is the fact that you would use this moment for the next three or four minutes and that you would search your own heart. Like David did, looked at his heart, looked at his soul. Search your own soul. And if there are ways in your heart, ways in your life where you have not trusted in the Lord, where if you have not put your faith in the Lord, where you have trusted in other things, where you have not remembered the benefits of God, then here's what I would ask you to do. I would invite you to confess those sins. Not to me and not to your neighbor. Also, don't confess your neighbor's sins to your neighbor, okay? Turns out it doesn't work well. What I'm asking is that you would confess your sins to the Lord. You can do it under your breath. Tell Him where you blew it. Because here's what the Bible says. If you confess your sins... God is faithful and just to forgive you of those sins, to clean you of all your unrighteousness. That sin that you committed, that you're guilty of, has been placed on Jesus on the cross, and He died for it, and you can be clean in this moment. And so then I'm going to come, up, come back up here after the song is over, and, and if you have put your faith in the Lord and you have confessed your sins, then I'll be able to declare over you that you are forgiven of those sins and that you can go from this place and walk in the power of God and knowing the benefits that He has given to you.